All right, so if you've got a Bible, one last time, let's go back to the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, and uh, it's really a great lead-in, I think, to what we're going to talk about in Ephesians today. Uh, we're going to talk about standing together in, in the fight, and I think a lot of what uh, Luis referred to is just a reminder of the unity of the body of Christ. Um, the church is not a building. The church is not geographical. The church is the people of God, the body of Christ, wherever we may be. We're one. We're united in Christ. And God calls us to, to live that way. You know, the, the way that, uh, that God operates is, unity, is diversity within unity. It's diversity within unity. I mean, think about it. That's the Trinity. Diversity within unity. Three persons who are distinct, who are different, but who are in essence the one God in, in perfect unity, in perfect harmony forever and ever. Think about how he made human beings. We're made male and female in the image of God. And then in marriage, he said the two become one flesh. That's diversity, because men and women are pretty diverse, right? Uh, we're pretty different. That's diversity within unity. Think about the church. What's 1 Corinthians 12 say? It says that we're many members, but one body. We're Different, but we're interdependent. There's diversity within unity. But Satan is not about unity. Satan's about division. And so Satan's okay with diversity as long as it doesn't lead to unity. And so he's always attacking unity. He wants us to have false views uh, of God. He wants us to have theological confusion, theological battles. What's he want to sow in marriages? He wants to sow division. What's he want to sow in other relationships? He wants to sow division. What's he want to sow within the body of Christ? He wants to sow Division. He wants to sow disunity. He doesn't want us uh, to acknowledge our diversity. He wants us to fight over our diversity, over our uh, differences. Uh, Jesus prayed that we would be one. Satan wants to uh, divide that. You know, it's always seemed to me that uh, maybe Satan's number one tool within churches is disunity. It's part of his methodology when it comes to spiritual warfare. And so God calls us then to stand together in this fight. Um, a couple of famous British military officers, the ones who ultimately defeated uh, Napoleon, were General Wellington 
and Lord Nelson, who was a naval admiral. And uh, one time during a naval uh, battle with the French, uh, Lord Nelson, this British naval hero, this commander, noticed that during his fight, during this fight, the two of his officers were arguing with each other. They were fighting amongst themselves, and he went to them and separated them and, and said to them, "Gentlemen, there is but one enemy, and he's out there." And that's what we need to remember today as we come to the end of this series about spiritual warfare is there's one enemy and he's out there. It's not each other. He's out there. Um, Back in the True Justice series, I quoted some U2 song lyrics. Uh, There's a little bridge that just says, there is no them, there's only us. And there's not them and us in the body of Christ. There's just us, and, and, and then we have a common enemy. And, but Satan is attacking the church. Remember Matthew uh, 16, 18 says, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, but that would imply that the gates of hell are trying to prevail against the church. But God wants us to stand together, go on the offensive against the, the gates of hell together. You see, Satan loves to isolate That's one of the dangers of this year. And not just this year, but next year, because it's not, I mean, we want to think this way when it comes to a new year, but it's not like on January 1 that everything's going to magically be okay. Sorry to be the bearer of bad news today. But I mean, that's realistic. But Satan loves to isolate. And so he thrives in isolation. Because in isolation, that's when fear and worry and anxiety thrive. We need each other. That's where addiction thrives. I mean, when somebody's an addict, they're usually trying to hide it from the people around them, right? That they isolate themselves. Uh, what I've seen is when people, uh, you know, struggling in their spiritual lives, when people stop walking with the Lord, what do they do? They try to isolate themselves from the body of Christ. They hide, they disappear, We need community. Even if you're not in a health situation or you don't feel comfortable with coming out in public right now, you still need to work extra hard to not be isolated, to be in community, to be connecting with people in some way. Satan thrives on isolation. God has designed us for relationship. He's designed us for community. Let me just remind us of something that we looked at earlier in the book of Ephesians before we get into chapter 6. In in chapter 4, Paul wrote this. He says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Remember, this is the hinge point in Ephesians where he transitions from the, the doctrinal to the practical application. We talked about how it all hinges on this word, therefore, and that the way we live out what Jesus has done for us, uh, the way we live out what Jesus expects of us is by living out of what Jesus has done for us. And so how do we do that? Well, in relation to each other, he says we're to walk with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And we always have to remember this little word, keep. He doesn't say endeavoring to attain the unity of the Spirit. He says to keep the unity of the Spirit. 
We are united together as the body of Christ in him. The question is, are we going to break that fellowship or are we going to live out of that fellowship? The Bible says here then there's one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. How many times does he say the word one there? He's called us to oneness. He's called us to unity. He's called us to love. He's called us to peace. He's called us to relationship. He's called us to fellowship. Satan wants to destroy that. Wherever there's disunity, you can know that Satan is working. He's called us to link together, to stand together in this fight. So, there's a, a military formation. I've kind of probably referred to this a little bit in, in the book of Ephesians, an ancient military uh, formation called a phalanx. If you've ever seen the, the movie 300, that was kind of the, the basis of that uh, movie. But uh, a lot of you know, if you knew, one of our elders is Rusty Arwood. Rusty and I have been friends since we were 10 years old. Uh, we both turned uh, 50 this summer, and at our birthday party, there's some T-shirts made. You know, Zach Milliken runs a company that does that, and he remembered us talking about this, and he put this little phalanx thing uh, on our shirts. And, and, and where this comes from is a little, like, running inside joke with Rusty and I, is uh, Rusty and I, we never went to school together except one semester at Carson Newman before he transferred somewhere else to play basketball, and we had, like, one class together. And it was like, was it Western civilization? Is that what it was? And uh, I was a history major, so I liked this stuff. Rusty was not a history major. <laughs> Remember, he majored in basketball. This was, he thought all this was a little goofy. But um, there, there's like one thing I think that actually both of us probably remember from this class, and it was this phalanx thing. And, and basically in a, in a phalanx, it was this tight military uh, formation, and, and they would, uh, you know, close ranks. And uh, I mean, it was just, it was tight, and, you know, everybody had everybody's back. And the idea was, unless you could break through the phalanx, there's no way that you could, you know, win in their hand-to-hand kind of military combat back then. But you remember how in this passage we talked about, you know, Satan's fiery darts and how we talked about sometimes in history uh, that they would, you know, actually light their arrows on fire. And so, uh, you know, this Roman soldiers would have, you know, the shield. He talks about the shield of faith here and they would put animal skins on it and they would wet it. But literally what they would do in these phalanxes when there were arrows uh, coming at them as they were so close together, they could literally hook their shields uh, together, crouched down behind them, where uh, as they're all hooked together, none of those arrows could get through. And I think that's a picture here for the body of Christ, that he's calling us to link our shields of faith together, to stand together in the fight against our spiritual enemy, Satan. We need to be reminded of that as we close this book, that we are the church and that we're called to stand together with each other in this fight. Look at what he says here at the end of Ephesians chapter six. He says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, 
being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may speak it boldly as I ought to speak. And some Bible commentators will kind of stop there and then start a new passage with verse 21. Uh, some will divide verse 21 and 22 from verses 23 and 24. But I just want to consider all this together today. But he says, but that you also may know my affairs and how I'm doing. Tychicus, or some people say Tychicus, or let's just call him Ty, um, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord will make all things known to you whom I have sent to you for this very purpose, that you may know our affairs, that he may comfort your hearts. And something I want you to think about there and not miss this is remember Paul was in prison. He was apparently allowed visitors. And so for Paul, out of concern for the church at Ephesus, and he also sent him to Colossae, for him to send him away. It's not like this guy is getting in his car and he's driving over there and coming back the next day. He's gonna be gone a long time. And so this man was obviously ministering to Paul. He was a comfort uh, to Paul. So for him, out of concern for the church there in Ephesus to send this man away, that was a great sacrifice. And so he does that. But then the conclusion of the book and kind of like the, the benediction, the, the well-wishing, but in a way, I think it kinda, it's kind of like a callback in, in music or on a TV show or in a series of movies. He's kind of here picking up and tying together all the big threads from the entire book. He says, peace to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity, amen. The body of Christ has to stand together in our fight, in the fight against our spiritual enemy. If you remember back when we started looking at this passage in verse 10, he said, finally, my brethren. It's plural throughout. He says to pray for all the saints. He's thinking about the saints there in Ephesus. Even though he's in prison, he's concerned about them, and he's sending this man to comfort them, to encourage uh, their hearts. And then He's at the end reminding them of the resources that we have together in Christ. So if we're gonna stand together in our fight against our common spiritual enemy, remember we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, how do we do this? And I think there's three ways that he shows us in these verses. And number one, we can stand together in the fight through praying for one another. We can stand together in the fight through praying for one another. He tells us there to pray for all the saints. Do you pray for your fellow believers? You know, we gave out the prayer guides last week, and I really encourage you to use those. And on Mondays, we put to pray for each other. One of the things I encourage you to do, if you're in a small group, pray for the other people in your small group. Because the majority of the church, not everybody, but the majority of the church can be covered in prayer if we'll pray for each other in our small groups. Um, 
Something that Robin has said to me, I mean, she said this to me in bits and pieces, but I asked her to give me a, a, a statement that I, I could use here. You know, she's battled uh, cancer this year. She said, quote, I felt as though I was being carried on a cloud of prayer. We all were. The hard things didn't seem as hard and the bad days didn't seem as bad. I felt loved and supported and carried by prayer. That's part of what the body of Christ is called to do. We all have battles. Are we going to have to fight those alone? And then are we just simply going to fight those battles with fleshly weapons? Or are we going to fight with the greatest weapon, the weapon of prayer? Are we going to fight? Are we going to stand with each other in our own strength? Are we going to stand with each other seeking God for his strength for that person. If you remember in Ephesians, and I want us to look at these quickly, but if you remember in Ephesians, there's two specific prayers that Paul prays for them. And I want us to read at least part of each one because this should inform us as to how we should pray for each other. Back in chapter one, after that great opening statement that Mandy read part of before about how we're so blessed in Jesus Christ, he says this in verse 15, therefore, and remember when there's a there, Therefore, it's always connecting back to uh, what was said before. So when we pray, we're praying based on the fact that we're blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He says, therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. Remember what we just read in verses 23 and 24? It's like two bookends here. He says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you, uh, sorry, Jay, so let me go back to verse 16. Do not cease to give thanks for you. So he's thankful, making mention of you in my prayers. This is what he's praying, verse 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him in his right hand in the heavenly places. Now, how do we usually pray? Lord bless Travis. God take care of Ryan. God help Preston. He's, he's praying that our eyes would be open to see how rich we are in Jesus Christ, to see how powerful we are in Jesus Christ because the resurrection power of Jesus Christ lives within us. And why is that so important? Because once we recognize that and we stand and live in that power and that authority, what's Satan gonna do to us? Can we not overcome you know, any problem in our life? We can't fix every problem in our life, but can we not overcome any problem in our lives if we know how rich we are in Christ and we know that we have the resurrection power of Jesus Christ living in us? That's our greatest need. That's why wherever you are in life today, your greatest need is a relationship with Jesus Christ to experience who he is and what he's done for you and to experience his resurrection power in your life. In chapter three, Paul says in verse 14, for this reason, 
I bow my knee to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, so he's praying, according to the riches of his glory. So, so that's what we're drawing on when we pray, the riches of his glory. To be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints, their unity again, what is the width and depth and length and height, uh, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I mean, think about it. Paul's in prison. He's not praying to be able to escape He's not praying God fix, he's not even praying God fix all my problems. He's not praying God fix all their problems. He's praying, saying that, you know, I'm praying for you that you'll be strengthened with the might, with the power of the Holy Spirit in your inner man and that you'll be filled with the love of God. Because once again, you'll be able to stand when that's the case. You see, if you're in Christ, don't listen to the lie that God wants your life to be easy and that he's gonna fix all your problems and make everything rosy the, exactly the way you want it to be. In fact, God is gonna give you some problems. God is gonna allow some problems to come in your life so you can be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man and so you can be filled with his love so the world around you that's struggling with everything that's going on can see the difference. Because pretty much what the world needs right now is to see the fruit of the Holy Spirit because that's pretty much opposite to absolutely everything that's going on in the world right now. What's going on in the world? Hate. What's the fruit of the Spirit? Love. What's going on in the world right now? Anxiety. What's the fruit of the Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit's peace. Uh, what's going on in the world uh, right now? Unhappiness. Uh, what's the fruit of the Spirit? Joy. And I could go on and on and on. It's the work of God within us. He calls us to pray for each other, to stand together in the fight, in prayer for all the saints. But number two, we stand together in the fight by caring for one another. Uh, he, he says here that so you may know my affairs and how I'm doing. Ty, who's a beloved brother and a faithful minister, Paul was a relational magnet. He's gonna let you know what's going on. I'm, I'm sending him to you for this very purpose. He was in prison, but he was concerned about them. Do we care for each other as brothers and sisters in Christ? Are we there for each other? Are we thinking about other people? Paul wrote in Philippians, he said, if there's any consolation in Christ, if there's any comfort of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, really what it's saying, since there is these things in Christ, he says, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others to care for each other, to be there uh, for each other. Even Paul, this mighty man of God, this great uh, warrior for Jesus Christ, said at one point that he was comforted by the coming of Titus. Sometimes Jesus is wrapped up in the hands and feet of other Christians. We need that human touch, and that's how he's designed it to be. 
Are we caring for each other? It's why you need to be in a small group. Why you need that relational connection. You know, we've experienced this this year and, and people being there for us and what we've gone through. I mean, the prayer part's important. But, you know, having people to stand with us, people calling us, texting us, people checking on us, um, you know, just people making meals for us, people to talk to. Uh, you know, it's great that one of your best friends is a counselor. We appreciate you, Lori. But just like our staff and our elders, the way that they've supported me, just we need each other. Maybe, uh, I don't know, maybe a perfect example of what I'm talking about is, you know, Robin had two lumpectomies in the, in the month of March. The first one was before everything shut down with COVID, and it was scheduled at a time where there wasn't a, a lot going on, I guess, in the part where she was having surgery. And so they bent the rules, and there were like 18 people in there, uh, for waiting while she had surgery. The second one was after everything started shutting down with COVID, there was one person there, and that was me. And, uh, you know, Jesus was there with me, but it was easier when there were 18 people there instead of when it was just me there. That's what this is talking about. We care about other people. You know, I, I've seen it over the last several weeks. You know, Rob Toby passed away a few weeks ago. But when I went and saw him and Debbie in their home, just their faith, their joy, their positive outlook, even what they were facing, you guys ministered uh, to me. And, and then, you know, the first Sunday she was here after he passed away, she was sitting there by herself. And Ryan Harold went over and sat with her so she wouldn't be here by herself. That's what this is talking about. That's the body of Christ being the body of Christ. We're called to care for one another. But then, number three, last thing here is we stand together in the fight through reminding one another of the resources that we have in Jesus. That's what he's doing here at the end of this book. And we need to be reminded of this. You know, one of the most famous writers who's ever lived, he won uh, the Nobel Prize, was Alexander Solzhenitsyn you know, the famous Russian writer who spent, you know, time in the gulags in, in, in Russia. And in one of those years in this Siberian prison, I mean, he had just lost all hope, felt like he was beyond strength, was ready uh, to give up and die, which was pretty easy to do there. Basically, all he had to do was stop working and the guards would have come along and beat him to death. But one of the other prisoners, a Christian, stopped momentarily beside him and took his shovel and drew a cross in the ground and just left it there long enough because, you know, didn't want to get in trouble, just long enough for Solzhenitsyn uh, to, to see it. And then he erased it. And then Solzhenitsyn later said that his entire being was energized by that little reminder of the hope and the courage and the strength that we have in Christ. And he found the strength to continue because a fellow believer cared enough to remind him of the hope that we have through the cross of Jesus Christ. At the end of the day, we need to pray for each other. At the end of the day, we need to care for each other and to be there for each other and to live life in community. But the point of that ultimately is to be pointing each other to Jesus Christ, to the cross, because that's where our strength comes from. You know, when the Bible uses the word fellowship, it, it doesn't mean like potluck dinners and get-togethers and picnics and that kind of thing. That can be an application of it, a manifestation of it. But the word fellowship, koinonia, literally means the common life that we have to together in Christ through his cross. 
John MacArthur has written in his commentary on Ephesians. And listen to this because this is just a reminder of what we have in Christ. I think this is a great way to uh, you know, come to the end of the book to kind of sum all this up. He says, Paul begins Ephesians with the comprehensive declaration that the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. He then proceeds to tell us that we are chosen, predestined, and adopted as God's children, lavished with his grace, redeemed and forgiven, given the mystery of his will, receivers of an inheritance, have been sealed with the Holy Spirit, are greatly loved by God, are made alive with new life, that we are the workmanship of Christ, created by him for doing good works. We're given God's own peace. We're made one with Christ and with every other believer as his own body. We're made citizens of God's kingdom, Ministers of his, uh, members of his family were built into God's own temple who are the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. We're given boldness and confident access to God. We're made powerful beyond our imagination, given the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, individually and uniquely gifted by Christ, blessed with specially gifted leaders to equip us in the work of ministry, taught by Jesus Christ himself, given a new self in God's holy likeness, made light, offered the fullness of the Holy Spirit, given the instructions and resources to make all relationships with others what God intends them to be and given God's full armor to make us invincible against Satan and his demonic forces. That's Ephesians in a paragraph. That's who we are. That's what we have in Christ. That's what gives us the strength of, to stand. And we need to be continually reminding each other of that. We need to remember that we are the church. Listen, this gets taught so badly, uh, so much today. Church is not somewhere we go. It's not something we do. It's not an optional add-on part of the Christian life. If you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a part of the church. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. I mean, if you go back to, to chapter 2, he talks about the fact that we're dead in trespasses and sins. That that's your spiritual condition apart from Jesus Christ. But in that great verse, uh, chapter two, verse four, he, he says after he's talked about our spiritual condition following after the course of this world and all these things, he says, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And then notice what he says. He says, raised us up together. He just didn't raise us up. He raised us up together, made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. You see, eternally, uh, the church is going to manifest and declare the glory of God, the, the glory of the grace of God by worshiping Jesus forever, by proclaiming what he's done for us. So when we come together to worship uh, on the earth, that's just practice for and a prefiguring of heaven. If you don't like worship here, you're not gonna even be in heaven because heaven is only designed for those who want to worship Jesus. 
He says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. But he doesn't stop there. Verse 13, he says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one. He's talking about Jews and Gentiles. We're now one. There's that word again. We're one body. We're in Christ. And then if you go to verse 19, he kind of summarizes uh, all this. He says, here's that word again. Therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you are also being built together for a dwelling place of God in the spirit. You know, we talk about us being, our bodies being the temple of the Holy Spirit, us as Christians being the dwelling place of God. Do you understand also the spirit of God? somehow dwells corporately in the church of God. We're one, we're together, we're the body of Christ, so we must stand together. We must keep the unity of the spirit. We have a spiritual enemy who wants to destroy us, but the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. But listen to me. He will prevail against some churches. There's gonna be a lot of churches that are gonna close their doors in the coming months and years. That's the reality. Either because they're apostate, because they're dead, because uh, they're gonna run and hide, either for a lot of reasons. Are we gonna stand firm together against our spiritual enemy? Are we gonna go on the offensive through prayer, through caring for one another, and then through serving our community, and then through reaching out to the world. The church and every church and every Christian, we have to decide in the days in which we live and the days that, that, that are coming if we're gonna stand in faith or if we're gonna run in fear. Because you can't live with both. But if we're really gonna stand we have to stand together. Remember the movie, The Gladiator? Remember the great speech? My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius, commander of the armies of the north, uh, so on and so forth. Remember his wife and his son were killed. He became a slave. He became a gladiator. And the first time he makes it to the Roman Colosseum, it's a reenactment of the, the battle. I think it was the Battle of Carthage. But they were supposed to lose. They were supposed to die. But remember, he was a great military general. He was on a mission. And what he said to these other gladiators, he asked them if they'd served in the military. And then he says, whatever comes out of these gates, we've got a better chance of survival if we work together. Do you understand? If we stay together, we survive. And I think that's what Paul's saying to us here. Whatever comes out of these gates, whatever Satan throws at us, whatever, whatever comes against us, we've got a better chance of survival if we work together. Do you understand? If we stay together, we, we survive. He says to us as the church, stand together as the body of Christ. 
Don't judge each other's battles. Fight the battles with one another. Pray, care, remind each other of who Jesus is. Remind each other of what Jesus has done for us. Don't leave people alone. Uh, you know, if, if you're like, man, where's he or she? I haven't seen somebody in a while. Maybe this is their different service. Maybe they're online. But if you think about it, check on them. If you're concerned about somebody, pray for them. If somebody's been a blessing to you, if you think something good, don't just think it, say it to them. Call them, encourage them. Check on somebody, pray for somebody, stand together. Satan goes about like a roaring lion. Lions love the strays. Stand together in the fight. Listen, if you're not a Christian, God's message to us in the book of Ephesians is that we're all sinners. We're all in the same boat. We're all spiritually dead and separated from him. But God, in his mercy and grace, sent his son to die for you, to forgive you, to make you spiritually alive, to uh, make you a part of the body of Christ, to give you a relationship with himself, to place his resurrection power uh, on the inside of you through his Holy Spirit who's there to transform your life and enable you to live a new life that is to the praise and the honor and the glory of Jesus Christ. Do you know him? Do you have a relationship with him? If you say yes, are you really living for him? Have you publicly confessed your faith through baptism? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.